Well, as I said, we're in the final week of a series that we've called The Church Deployed. And uh, it, it is very instructive even calling it that. And even in a season when we've been so set apart and even continue to be in many ways, though some are beginning to engage in being in the campus, all sorts of reasons that we kind of struggle and question, but does that change our identity? Does it hinder what God wants to do? And so this series was intended to help us understand what actually is the church. And so we've said it before, but I wanna remind you that oftentimes we think of church like a cruise ship. And oddly, even like a cruise ship, because of what's going on, it can confuse us right now because a cruise ship is something you go to to be a part of. There's all sorts of different parts of the ship. You can go do all sorts of activities, but we tend to associate what we do while we're there. And we can often do the same thing in church. We decide that church is when we're in the building together. It's when we attend a program. It is what the corporate function is or the organization it's going to. It's being present there. This is more what we want it to be and more what we believe it is. This is an aircraft carrier, and what you do is you go there to fuel up, but the point is an aircraft carrier sends out, it deploys, and we believe the church itself is called to be deployed, not to be huddled. And so over these four weeks, we've been trying to remind us, to inspire us, to encourage us in what the church actually is. And this is what we've said over these four weeks. We've said the church is, and the first week we looked at the very way the church came to be and the way Israel came to be as they're uniquely partnered together. We understood that Israel became a nation uniquely when God freed them from Egypt, they became an Edah, a witnessing community. They gave witness to what God had initiated and was doing. And it's through the sacrifice of these Passover lambs that they found new life. God freed them. Even more so, and we understand it as the ultimate culmination, when Jesus comes, when Jesus came, he lived and died and rose again. And through his sacrifice, we have new life, freedom from sin and a new way to live. That's the church's beginning. And then each week following, Evan the next week looked at this idea that we are the people of God, that uniquely we're called to be this community that loves each other in all of our differences in a way no one could explain. And make no mistake, that's centered around God's power moving in us, not us attributing or aspiring or simply working towards. All of this centers around what Jesus has done, his life, his death, his resurrection. The next week, Thad looked with us at this idea that we're on a mission from God, that ultimately Jesus has given us not only freedom from sin, but his very presence, his Holy Spirit, to help others discover who he is, to help the world find out all that he brings. And that leads us to this third one, that we are on a mission from God to a world in need, which is where we're going to look today. This world in need. Now, before we even get into it, I want to just say this about it and kind of give us this picture today of where I hope, if nothing else lands, this lands for us. And it's very simply this. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are people of the resurrection. What I mean by that is everything we do and live centers around the reality that we believe Jesus actually lived, he died, and he rose again. There is resurrection. And beautifully, what that means as people of the resurrection is life is different as a result. It isn't just a nice idea or a metaphor. We believe it actually happened and changes the trajectory of everything around us. 
So if nothing else, I want you to even, do, you're going to ask you to say it back to me, but I want us to realize we are people of the resurrection. We are people of the resurrection. So I will say we are, and you're going to respond to it. We are just so good to have some people in the room to say that to. I know at home you're saying it as well, and I want you to say it loudly, even though I can't hear you, because other people can. And if you're by yourself, I want your neighbors to hear it. I just want us to say it again. We are. We are. Yes, we are people of the resurrection. That will matter. Everything we do will matter around this. And make no mistake, this was the life of the early church. It was how the church was born. Everything they did centered around this reality that Jesus actually died and rose again. Something happened that changed everything. And all of a sudden, they're going around telling everybody and living differently as a result of it. They become this community you can't explain. Crossing all the caste system, working together in ways, loving each other in their differences. They have this mission to help people discover that God actually came to be in relationship with us, to forgive us. And now there's this world of need that God wants to move in. Now, I say that because I want us to realize the resurrection is central to everything for us, and that's going to help us to look at what that means for this world in need. I want to take you to one of Paul's letters. Paul's one of the earliest Christian leaders, kind of the earliest missionary that was important in moving to all these cities and helping people hear and discover the power of the resurrection. In one of his letters to the church in Corinth, He's helping them see, you've got to understand, the resurrection is everything to us. It's the centerpiece. It's the die on a hill part. We understand, you have to understand and believe. And he writes about this in this letter in chapter 15 of the first letter to the church in Corinth. He says, if it is preached that Christ, that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? In, in other words, how can you not think that's important or central? You see, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Now, there's this heresy that rose up, and it's risen up lots of times in history, this particular one, but it was given a name in about the second or third century called Gnosticism. Now, what it means, very simply, Gnostic just simply means knowledge, but the idea was there was a secret spiritual knowledge which does or doesn't matter as much as the idea behind it, which is simply this. The physical world is bad, and the spiritual world secretively is good. And what happens with that, if you have kind of a Gnostic underlay, is what happens physically around us doesn't matter. Now, that plays out in all sorts of ways. Sometimes for us, as people who've been more historical in terms of talking about the importance of the resurrection, we can still live as Gnostics this way, what happens right now doesn't matter. We just have to get people to heaven because this physical world and what happens now is irrelevant. Though we don't see that, that's a Gnostic way of thinking. It denies what God wants to do right now. Now, much more so, there are people that dismiss the actual power of the resurrection and think it's a metaphor for everything. And so they simply look at it metaphorically as if the physicality of it doesn't matter. Now, I'm hoping you stay with me on that. I realize it's a little bit of a, okay, that's an under, what does that mean? Why does it matter? But it will matter, and I want to go back to this because I want us to think about the resurrection in terms of what happened physically and spiritually. In other words, I want to make sure we think on every level of what happens through what Jesus has done as people of the resurrection. Now, Paul actually goes on to speak of just how hopeless this is. He says it this way. 
More than that, we're actually found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he didn't do it, the fact, if he didn't do it, in fact, then the dead are not raised. Not only Jesus, but that means nothing changed. And he gets even further in this saying this, if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What he means by this very simply is if the resurrection doesn't happen, Jesus claimed that he died for sin is invalid because his death is to pay for sin, which pays for death. So the resurrection is an actual statement of it working. And the reason that matters for us is we have to begin to look at people of the resurrection, what that means. Now, it matters on several levels. We would call it the already, meaning Jesus' resurrection already releases and brings about his power. But we call it the more to come or the not yet, meaning when he returns, it will be done in its completeness. In fact, when Paul continues in the letter, he says when Jesus returns, there's a new heaven and a new earth, and he will give his father the keys to the kingdom. You see, resurrection is physical and something is put in motion of the kingdom when resurrection happens. It doesn't simply give us freedom from sin. It begins to demonstrate the power of God in every facet of life. I find it really interesting when Jesus is dying or going to die on the cross, in case you're not aware of it, when Adam and Eve sin, when they create the original problem that all of us follow in, they each are given a curse, which is the curse of death, their own kind of demise. The earth itself is given a curse and it's told that it will have thorns. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus wearing a crown of thorns is him carrying the very curse of the earth in his death. Those crowns aren't just a mockery, though they are. They're an actual demonstration of carrying the pain of the curse of the earth. It's a physical pain. And when Jesus rises, it isn't simply to get us to heaven. It's to bring about his kingdom in a new way, physically and spiritually, not either or. Now, that matters as we talk about a world in need because we are people of the resurrection. I want to take you to two places where Jesus identifies his missional calling and even identifies who we are and what we're to be. And I want to remind us, too, the power of this, because when we say we're the people of God, the only way we can be this are because of his powerful resurrection to change us. When we say we're on a mission, it's the very mission for people to ultimately know the power of his resurrection to forgive and bring new life. And the world in need is what's going on around us. So let's begin with what Jesus begins with in Luke's account. These are the words he reads from a prophet, from the prophet Isaiah, about who he is and what he's to do. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's literally reading from the Torah scroll in the very synagogue. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which this last piece, it's called Jubilee, means it's a new day. Now, the reason I want us to stop here is we can often do this in the life of the church. We see the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed, and we make that a spiritual metaphor. And that is in part true. In other words, Jesus has come to minister, to reveal himself to the poor, meaning we're in poverty spiritually, to the prisoners, to the blind, to the oppressed. But do you know he also came to actually help the poor? 
It's a physical resurrection. It means this isn't just a metaphor spiritually. It's an actual statement physically. He came to help the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. He actually moves physically and spiritually in this world. And if you and I are people of the resurrection, it means that we move that way as well. It means we move in his power, naturally and supernaturally. I want us to understand the physical connection to this because we tend to be one side or the other. Either all this is spiritual and metaphor or it's physical and we dismiss the, the spiritual. They are interconnected. The gospel is connected. The physical is temporary, the spiritual is forever, but it all works together and Jesus cares about what happens in the world around us. If you were to go back and just look at his miracles, Many of them, he simply changes their trajectory. Once in a while, he offers this forgiveness and the sense of who he is, but oftentimes he simply heals. He simply moves, and he simply brings a demonstration of his kingdom to those around. In fact, one time in particular, he heals a man who's got all sorts of demonic activity in him, and he just says this, the finger of God has touched you. In other words, you've had just a taste of the new way of my kingdom, of the resurrection power which is physical and spiritual. In the same way he begins, towards the end, as he's preparing to go to the cross, people are asking what this whole thing looks like, and he tells a story about a king, and at the, at the end of time, this king separates sheep from goats, the people that follow and the people that don't. And this is how he defines them. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. It's a beautiful picture, and we would tend to see, well, when someone's spiritually thirsty, we help them when they're spiritually hungry. We help them when they're spiritually naked. We're there. And that's all true. In fact, that's what we're called to be as his people. But it doesn't dismiss that we also are called to be that in the physical world. That we are called to help those in need who are poor. We're here to help those who are thirsty. We're here to help those who are hungry. We're here to help those who are naked. We're here to help the foreigner and the alien who is a stranger. We're here to meet those in prison. It is not simply metaphor because the kingdom is spiritual and physical. And I don't want us to miss that our call to a world in need encompasses all of this. Now, I want to just kind of tag where we're going with this so you get an idea. We'll come back at the end of our time. But I want you to consider it this way. Most of us have plenty of resource and don't live in a place of extreme poverty or need. And this is how we can tend to do it. This is kind of how our minds can work. You know what? Spiritually, I need God, but physically, I'm doing fine. And we look at people in need and say, they caused it, and they're the problem. And, and I'm not going to help someone who has made their own problem. But then when we come to our faith, we forget that we are the same way spiritually. And what ends up happening is we think we need less from God than we actually do. You see, there's a marriage in this for us to see the physical world different, differently, than we do right now because we disconnect the two. 
We have one set of rules for what God wants to do spiritually and a different for what God wants to do physically. And Jesus is very simply saying, these are connected. These two work together. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I needed clothes. I was sick. I was in prison. It's a fascinating piece to consider Jesus saying, I was. And many of you will know where he defines this, but I want to take you back to the time of Israel before Jesus coming. You see, every nation, and nations had many gods oftentimes, their gods were typically defined by power. They were defined by the leader or the emperor or the ruling monarch of that area, and the god was like that person, and that's who they connected to. Their god was like their emperor, was like the ones in power, and people of less were seen as less. They often weren't even given value. So suddenly, this god of Israel says, instead of look at my power, he says, I'm the God of the fatherless and the orphan and the stranger and the weary. God moves himself into the place of the most destitute and struggling. And Jesus does that physically. He comes in and he comes in incarnation into great poverty and born into Joseph and Mary's home. He comes in great poverty in the group he's a part of in Israel. He comes and lives in great poverty and dies in great poverty, giving physicality to the spiritual reality that he meets us not only in our spiritual poverty, but meets us in our physical poverty too. When he's telling the story, he says that the people ask, when did we help you? because they don't see him. And he says this, when you've done it to the least of these, and brothers and sisters, you did it for me. He's marrying together the power of the resurrection, not simply for the spiritual world, but for the physical world, because Jesus came to redeem everything. Now, I'm not giving it the same weight. I'm not even trying to differentiate the weights. I'm trying to connect them for us. But let me take you back to the church historically and how the church has understood that over all of our history. In John Ortberg's book, uh, Who Is This Man, Jesus? He's kind of going through different things and the impact of Jesus over history, and he takes this one stream about helping those in need. And he begins to look at different movements over history. One of them, in about AD 165, I believe he says, there's an epidemic in Rome, one of smallpox, that's a plague that seems to be taking many out. And as happened for most of history, people tend to isolate and hide from each other during that time. But what crazily happens is the church begins to move towards those who are sick and in need and minister to them, both to their own detriment and sometimes miraculous to their health. But it makes no sense other than they hear the very words of Jesus. We're people of the resurrection. There's people in need, that's where we go. We find Jesus there. And something shifts in history because it doesn't make sense to the people around them, but it makes sense in the economy of the kingdom. It simply says this, in Christ, they respond. We move to the fourth century. There's an emperor, Julian Apostate. They have their own set of pagan priests, and he's very angry. He's writing to them, and he says to them this, these Galileans, these Christians are caring for not only their poor, but ours. They're doing what we're not even willing to do. Why are they doing it? Because they're people of the resurrection. 
And somehow they see and hear Jesus' call. This is not simply about forgiving from sin, though it's at the center of it. It's about the kingdom coming physically to a world in need that it's also everywhere around us in every place around us. Move ahead to Basil, this church father who builds a place of love and care for lepers. Not too long after this, they raise money because the lepers themselves can't even afford to pay for the need. And he says this about it. When we minister to them, we give Christ nourishment. We give Christ clothes. We show Christ honor because he understands that people of the resurrection see people in need and we do everything we can to bring the kingdom of hope and life both naturally and supernaturally. This will move ahead to a movement through Europe where hospitals are built all over Europe from some Lutheran leadership. Everywhere they go, hospitals will be rising up. It will ultimately lead to the story of Florence Nightingale who will uniquely be inspired and care for the sick and live in a unique heroic way to us even today because people of the resurrection said we are here to help people in need. I want us to understand that when we see schools and places where people are in need, when we see hospitals, when we see hospice, when we see orphanages, those often and most often have their roots in the church, the people of the resurrection, saying it is not just a spiritual thing that we do to help people. We don't simply say we're gonna tell them they're sinners and they need God and walk away and say good luck. We help people in need, whether they respond or not, because it's an aspect of discovering who Jesus is and his kingdom, because it is physical and spiritual. That we look to move and be moved by what God does. You and I are people of the resurrection. Now, I want to celebrate this because I believe we do this many times in our church. In fact, I've been thrilled when I look at how much we give away of what we take in just financially. It's somewhere between 25 and 30% that we give away, which is unheard of because of what you do, because you give in many ways for us to give away. It was fascinating to me when this uh, coronavirus hit, we have relied most often on your giving towards those in need, the benevolence that we do giving on one of the Sundays of the month when we celebrate communion. That went away. Do you know you gave more since that happened? I, I don't want us just to be happy about it. Though. Yeah, we should celebrate it. We should celebrate it. I'm sure they were already cheering at home. We just finally picked it up here in the building. That's good. I just don't want us to miss. This is not because we're charitable. It's because we're people of the resurrection. And God cares about this physical world as he does the spiritual world. They are connected they're not independently living. It, it makes me think for us, many of us do give this way financially and we celebrate that. I just wonder at the same time if God might be calling us to actually do things physically, not just celebrate our resources, but moving towards people who are thirsty and hungry and sick and without clothing and in prison. I wonder if we're supposed to help the blind to see and the lame to walk. And make no mistake too, by the way, this is not simply just a we provide things. I think we pray supernaturally that God moves. I think we should be praying for people who are sick. I am all for and believe firmly God moves in power. It's not one or the other. Let's take every tool we have and use them all, huh? But I'm saying, why should we move that way? And for many of you who go, I'm fine working towards helping people, but I'm not opening my checkbook. I go, guess what? You should. 
Because something changes for us in this, and we'll come back to it, but something is meant for us in why God does this physically and what it does in us when we identify that. Because I think something shifts for us when we can connect to the despair of others and somehow realize that's our despair spiritually, even if it's not physically. James, in his letter to the early church, clarifies just how central this is as he describes what faith really is. He says it this way, that faith, meaning we believe, and that's all we rest on, should lead to something different. People of the resurrection act and live differently. So he says it this way, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds, what can that faith save them? In other words, if you say you have faith but it doesn't lead you to have a transformed life, are you sure that you really have it? Do you really, if you can't, if you're not living it out, maybe there's a gap there. And this is how he gives evidence to it. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You and I live in a world in need. There's tons of need around us. People of the resurrection that live in the faith of the resurrection, act on that faith to meet a world in need. I kind of want to give you a picture of this, of how I think, and we'll go back to James and what he says because I think it illustrates this. But one of my concerns is because we're not, most of us are not in need physically, we're not in need kind of monetarily, this is the way we tend to think about it. I'm a sinner, I couldn't do this on my own. But when it comes to the physical world, I've done just fine. And the people who are doing poorly caused it themselves. They're the problem. Why would I help them? We disconnect spiritual and physical. We have one standard for the spiritual and a different standard for the physical. But here's the problem. I'm afraid that by our being or believing we're self-sufficient, we have lost the reality of how deeply spiritually insufficient we are. And we've actually elevated our accomplishments to ourselves when they're really God's provision. You see, I think when we move towards the poor, I think what we see is a very physical picture of our own spiritual condition. You know what? I run into people that I'm sure have caused some of their own despair. So have I. I've run into people who are a part of a whole systemic problem that they may not have caused it, but they may have added to it. So have I. In other words, when I look into the physical world, something can happen in me to realize my spiritual condition. And when I hear the call of God to help the thirsty and the hungry and the weak and the broken, I need to connect that to my own spiritual condition and realize, guess what? The illusion of having and accomplishing is just that, an illusion. In other words, you and I need to be brought low and help others to realize just how low we are spiritually. And one of the beauties, I think, happens for those in deep need when we help them, or those of you who are in deep need, is you need to be reminded of the incredible sainthood you have in him. In some ways, I think we who have more need to be brought low, and I think those who have little need to be brought up. You know, that's exactly what James actually says in James chapter one. He says this, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. Do you know however nice your stuff is? When you die, it's gone. 
It is like that. And I'm grateful you have what you have. But it has no bearing on eternity. And you and I need to be reminded of what little we have spiritually. That we would minister physically to those in need with a humble, kind, wonderful posture. And those who feel so much like they have nothing need to be reminded of just what saints God sees us as, as, sees them as. It's a hard thing to realize, man. You and I, we have got to be at a place of being brought low that we would actually help those in need, that we will be people of the resurrection in every way and every time. Jesus came to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free, to bring sight to the blind. He came for us to help the thirsty and the hungry and the sick and the the alien and oh, those uniquely who are in prison. That's the church. That's people of the resurrection. The people of God on a mission from God to a world in need. And beautifully and wonderfully, God has made us to ultimately bring the perfection of that need through his salvation that we not only can help in a moment, we offer when people want it, this joy of new life in him and forgiveness because our spiritual poverty is unmoving. We cannot get out of it apart from what he's done. And he says, be like me in the world around you. I simply want to pray for us as we conclude this series and invite you to respond to Jesus as ever he's calling you to, whether it's out of your spiritual poverty, whether it's to a place of saying, I need to stop looking as if I'm better than and help those in need, whether it's loving people in your differences, whether it's hearing the very mission that he's called you to to reach others with his love, you and I are people of the resurrection. Let's pray with that in mind. Lord, I ask that you'd meet us, each one of us today. I pray if we are blind to our own need that you'd open our eyes and we would see. And I pray where we have separated spiritual from physical and said this is the only thing that matters and not realized how your kingdom moves everywhere in every way. God, we want to be a part of all of it. And Lord, we want to be the people of God on a mission from God to a world in need. Lord, I pray especially for those who want to respond from their spiritual poverty to saying, I need you, Jesus, to forgive me. I believe in your actual resurrection and the new life I can have, and may your spirit fill them fresh. For others that need to be renewed in that, for those of us who need to say, God, I have assumed a superiority because of what I have, may we relinquish that and say, God, we have nothing without you, and sit in our low position. God, we simply want to see you in those we reach out to. And I ask you would help us to that end in your name. Amen.